Welcome to the Uncomfortable Truth Podcast, hosted by the rock star of consulting, Alan Weiss. Be prepared to have your beliefs challenged and your behaviors questioned. Welcome back to the Uncomfortable Truth. Today I have two guests, and they're uh, the fabulous people. Uh, Lee Duckworth is the president and CEO of Capital Wealth Management. He's got 30 years of investment state planning experience. He has an ex- uh, extensive financial background. He advises clients in things like asset management, 401k, retirement plans, fiduciary regulations and standards of state planning and so forth. Uh, he's uh, His BS is business administration. He's a certified financial planner, chartered mutual fund counselor, registered financial counselor, too many initials to name, but he's got it all. Uh, and with him today uh, is Larry Dooley, who's the chief investment officer for Capital Wealth Management. He's 25 years in the investment management uh, business. Uh, his uh, Prior to being appointed as CIO of Capital Wealth Management, he served as vice president and portfolio manager at Woodstock, where he oversaw individual security analysis and portfolio management, as well as client relationships. He holds an MBA, uh, summa cum laude, uh, and um, uh, BS in investments and entrepreneurial studies. Uh, he's been inducted into Beta Gamma Sigma, the International Honor Society of Business, at both undergraduate and graduate levels. I'm in the Honorary Society of Political Science, and look where that got me. Uh, he's got uh, two golden retrievers, I think, and a dog guy is always good with me. So, gentlemen, thank you for being with me. I greatly appreciate it. Thank you, Alan. Thanks good. so much, Alan. Pleasure. So let me start with an easy one. I'll give you a softball to start. Okay, how would you define today's economic situation? Wow, um, you know we meet with clients, uh, you know, two three times a day, week in and week out, and there there's an interesting dichotomy right now. Uh, there, there's a lot of negative news cycles, and yet a lot of people are pretty happy out there. Uh, we don't come across people who are looking for jobs and can't find them. Uh, we generally find happy people who are excited to be out traveling again, going on vacation. Uh, business owners uh, are, are generally uh, positive, yet uh, fragile in their outlook. Yep, uh, I would describe it as a, a period of transition, uh, a pretty significant paradigm shift, uh, very different from the one that we've uh, experienced the last 10, 15 years. Zero uh, percent interest rates are close to it. Uh, is in the past. And so it's a recalibration, uh, renormalization. Uh, and there's a lot of good things attached to that. And we can uh, get into that a little, little later. So we've heard a lot. <clears throat> we've heard a lot about recession. Uh, has it come? Is it coming? What will it look like? Uh, you know, it won't be the recessions that we're used to. Are we in a recession now, perhaps, and don't even realize it? I mean, how, what do you say to people who say, you know, what are the recessionary chances here? Yeah, I'll just, uh, you know, slight uh, slight positive GDP growth for Q1. Uh, sometimes those numbers can be adjusted. So technically, I think we would, we would say no, not a recession right now. Um, and yet uh, there are still some pretty significant headwinds. Uh, you know, keep your seatbelts fastened for the rest of 2023. Uh, in terms of the markets and the volatility. Um, if, in fact, we, we are in Q2, there's a lot that are saying Q2 is, is going to be slower. So uh, l- let's run with with a technical recession, I- either in Q2 and Q3 in 2023. We're feeling generally, uh, Alan, that it will be mild 
and briefer uh, than the historical averages if you look at the last you know dozen or so recessions. So recession probably, baby R most likely, not a capital R. Ah, a little R recession. Now, Larry, you talked about uh, unemployment before, and if you take out chronic unemployment, it's it's almost about zero right now, really. And consumer spending is pretty strong right now. Overseas uh, people, the tourists. I just came back from Paris, and there, there are tourists all over the place. The, air, the airplanes are full. Um, are these sort of good reactions, or are they just uh, sort of the pent up? Uh, the the pent up anxieties of people who were denied this too long. How how, did, how would you look at this? So I would say the unemployment picture is quite quite healthy. Um, for every uh, unemployed uh, person, there's two close to two job openings available. So we have seen some deterioration, but it's been slight. But from a sort of economic standpoint, as we speak to wage growth. As we speak to unemployment rates, the economy is uh, has been extremely resilient in the face of what's equivalent to 19 25 basis point hikes over a 13 month period. It's really incredibly uh, strong, uh, and we continue to expect. You know, back to the question of recession. Yes, there's some people expecting. You know, second quarter might show uh, a, a negative. You know, GDP sort of number, uh, but. Uh, Resilient is a good uh, descriptor. Uh, let me add a couple of thoughts on unemployment, Alan. So I'd say maybe a month or a month and a half ago, there was a pretty loud news cycle about some tech companies, very famous, you know, large tech companies laying off uh, workers. And and I thought that was going to lead to 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 an, an overemphasis on on some of these layoffs. The numbers, the numbers are still very, very strong. You know, you used practically zero, and and I think that's still pretty fair. Yeah, it, it certainly might creep up a, a little in in the remainder of 2023. I will add again, go back to our our week in and week out meetings with business leaders. We hear thematically, <laughs> hey. I, I'm trying to hire. There's a war out there for talent. Uh, I've got folks in the warehouse who just do no shows, but I can't fire them because I I'm still looking for more good people. And and I'm, I could give you example after example after example. And that theme has not softened in the last six months. It, it continues. Yes, it's anecdotal. It's 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 you know meeting with business leaders, but I think there's really under the covers there's a war for talent out there. It's interesting to me that um, things like travel and hospitality uh, are roaring. And by roaring, I mean uh, it's tough to get into some restaurants. Uh, it's tough to get into some hotels in highly desirable tourist places. Uh, there was a place in Paris we wanted to go to, had a six-month waiting period. I mean, it's just yeah. unreal, you know? Yeah. At the start of the pandemic, I asked you, Lee, and I asked two other people in positions very similar to yours, you know, what do you think about my investments? And all three of you said the exact same thing. You said, do you have cash? And I said, yeah, I got cash. They said, then don't worry and don't do anything. And that turned out to be sterling advice. Um, and it seemed to me as I looked around post-pandemic that not just people, but organizations that had cash fared better. Am, am I overstating that or is that an accurate observation? So we were encouraging our clients to take advantage of this sort of significant downdraft in the market. If you have cash on the sidelines and 
if you are considering investing those assets, now is a good time. So what was so comforting for us, I would say the ratio of clients had cash and wanted to invest more three to one at least in favor of taking advantage of the weakness as opposed to, oh, fear. Should, should I go 100% cash? So that's as, a, as an advisor, as a fiduciary, buy low, sell high, <laughs> take advantage of the weakness, um, try to keep your emotions at bay, uh, work phenomenally for many of our clients. Uh, when people talk to me about entering consulting and coaching and other professional services, and they say, how much cash should I have on hand? I generally say to them, have at least six months of your normal expenses and preferably more than that, but at least six months of normal expenses. Uh, do you have any kind of standard or metric you use? And I'm not asking you to give financial advice, but is there a metric where you say to a, a business, here's the percentage of cash you should have at any given time? Does that make sense? It absolutely does. And I think that's sterling advice that, that you know, you're know you sharing with your wisdom. Um, there, there's another factor to that. And, and I think that is a good plumb line. Six months of cash, absolutely. And maybe uh, certainly more if you've got acquisitions or automobiles or things, you know, you, you know, if you've got other things, you got to add that to the list. The six month is just a pure cash flow number, uh, plus any known acquisitions. Um, there's another factor that we, we, we talk about, and that's called the, the SWAN principle, uh, S-W-A-N, and that's the sleep well at night. There are, <laughs> yeah, yeah, there, there are deep personal, um, sometimes intellectual, sometimes emotional, sometimes both, um, opinions about that with every family that we work with. Um, and, and so that's another factor. And we actually, we, we try to talk about that, you know, really, really intently before you start talking about asset allocation and your investments and retirement. Um, so I, I think the sleep well at night factor, some people have a sleep well at night factor that's much lower and some people have a sleep well night factor that's much higher. Uh, I would say with 30 plus 33 decades of experience, never try to fight as <laughs> the sleep well factor uh, because it's a capital T true in their mind. Over the last couple of days, as we're sitting here together, uh, the, the Wall Street Journal has become as, I guess, as frenzied as the Wall Street Journal gets because these huge um, withdrawals have been made at State Street and at Schwab. Uh, and they're looking at this as indications of, about the Fed and the rate increases and so forth. Larry, you referred to the, the rate increases a little bit earlier. Um, is this really something to be worried about or is this a, sort of a normal development? So we're sure that a lot of the uh, assets are moving, being rearranged from what historically has been very low rate, low deposit rates to something more uh, appropriate in terms of this sort of uh, environment with interest rates. So from the savings uh, account into a money market. So we've seen a lot of that and would be very surprised if money was leaving the doors of Schwab as opposed to being repositioned uh, by those investors. So really it's going from one pocket to the other? Oftentimes it is. Now, more most recently with JP Morgan coming out and reporting record first quarter uh, numbers, they obviously Prof were beneficiary. Profits. Yeah, top line and profits. Uh, they were a historic. Major, historic, absolutely. They're major beneficiaries, uh, beneficiary of that flight to quality. So leaving some debatable, you know, regional banks into JP Morgan 
Uh, Citibank uh, was another example, Wells Fargo, a third. Well, that's fascinating because that's an insight that I didn't get from reading the articles. It, you know, the articles like it was like almost a bank run, people taking their money and, and going home and putting it under the mattress, you know. Well, well I, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll add a, a conversation that's been happening very frequently in the last 90 days or you know, three to four months that hasn't happened for 15 plus years is uh, with cash assets, with safe, uh, uh, you know, secure money. Hey, what do you think about getting some some government treasuries, uh, one year treasury, two year? So that's a conversation that hasn't happened in 15 years. So there's another place where it's being repositioned is is in U.S. Treasuries, you know, earning you know three, four, five percent depending upon your your duration. Uh, Lee, I I asked you a while ago about these banks in California heavily involved in crypto that went under. And you said, you know, Larry will give you a great explanation. And Larry sent me a brilliant explanation. And I think, for, I think Larry, the phrase you used was, these are anomalous banks. Uh, yeah. And so just what, why don't you explain a little bit to our, our listeners here. Why were these banks that went under anomalous? What does that mean? Yeah, so these sort of banks shared some, you know, common themes. One was, I would say, lack of a better word, an avalanche of new deposits. Um, and those banks had to do something with those new deposits. Some banks decided to buy longer duration assets. Um, and in light of a very aggressive Federal Reserve with higher rates and the inverse relationship between rates and bond prices, uh, they suffered the consequence. Uh, so there was a revaluation of those assets that, that they had um, in their capital structure. So the other common theme was kind of really high uninsured deposits as a percent of all deposits. Mm. So I'll give you a comparison. At Schwab Bank, the ratio is about 20% of all deposits are uninsured. These banks, 90%. So phenomenally high. And the other you know, common denominator was kind of flighty deposits. So we have to appreciate the you know, looking under the hood in terms of the depositors at Silicon Valley, half of those deposits were from uh, technology-oriented uh, startups or healthcare companies, venture and venture capitalists. And we all know, and we kind of touched upon it the last, uh, you know, one year, there's been quite a few layoffs reported. Uh, you no longer have you know, very, you know, uh, uh, active uh, IPO market. Uh, it's dried up for lack of a better word. And, and, but you also compound that with what it's easy to assess the, the train wreck after the fact. <laughs> Silicon Valley was mismanaged. Um, they didn't have a chief risk officer. And, uh, <laughs> you know, perhaps the blame is also should be put on the Federal Reserve of California. They were on they were on top of Silicon Valley in terms of the deficiencies of controls, but yet push came to shove, there was no insistence, you need to raise more capital or you need to sell these securities, raise cash. Um, and as you know, things happen uh, light speed. So the venture oh, capital- uh, Excuse me, Larry. So in the, no risk officer is like having a car with no brakes. I mean, it's, it's kind of a fundamental thing, right? Yeah, <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. And when, you, 
When you talk about not insured, you mean not, uh, it's not insured by the FDIC, right? Correct. Beyond the coverage of FDIC insurance, yes. Silicon Valley is around 93% uninsured, where I think you mentioned Schwab was, you know, somewhere around, you know, low teens, mid teens or high teens or under 20% uninsured. Big, big difference. Mm. Uh, at one point in my career, uh, the New York uh, Federal Reserve, which is the biggest, was my client. And uh, I'd show up down there and there'd be guys with machine guns and, uh, you know, they they filmed these uh, a big gangster movie there where the gold was supposed to be stolen. They showed me why it was impossible because the West Side Highway would have collapsed. I mean, these people were a lot of fun. Uh, but, uh, what is it? Is it um, they told me that the Fed is a quasi quasi-governmental agency. And to me, that's like saying a Mercury is a quasi-Ford. I don't quite understand that. So is the Fed right now on top of things? Are they doing things that should be done? Or, or is the debate about them legitimate that uh, uh, a little too much of this and not enough of that? Yeah, I would say it's kind of like uh, we can all do better, including the Fed. Uh-huh. And uh, I think maybe we overshot in terms of all this focus from the great financial crisis on the systematically most important banks uh, with kind of an underappreciation for the fact that with this great paradigm shift in higher rates, the issue was not one of credit quality, it was interest rate sensitivity. Um, And so now the focus is, well, maybe we shouldn't be just super focused on banks 250 billion and up, maybe we should peel that back to 100 billion, we need to enforce sort of the regulations and the rules and we can't, you know, let things slide because obviously, as we learned with Silicon Valley and Signature Bank, um, and, you know, there might be more shoes to drop. The focus really has to be placed on, you know, the balance sheet and capital ratios and, and, and such. But I think for your listeners, I would add, it's a fair question to ask your, your banker, if you're a business owner, what percentage of deposits uh, are uninsured? That is kind of a, a really good meter for for a broad sound base of the pyramid. I, I imagine a lot of people assume there's insurance where there isn't, uh, which is kind of dangerous to make that assumption. And am I correct that the FDIC actually reimbursed some people beyond their $250,000 limits? Oh yeah, uh, so the declaration was, uh, don't worry all deposits, including it uh, uninsured uh, will be covered. So that was, that really put, a major, uh, you know, comfort uh, blanket on on the financial uh, banking industry with that sort of declaration. It's sort of like, you know, the gas station saying, yeah, we'll fill your tank and we'll also rotate your tires. Don't worry about it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's... It, yeah it introduces the uh, the word moral hazard, right? <laughs> and again, uh, FDIC is supposed to, it's designed for, uh, you know, May you know, kind of drawing a, a line in the sand in terms of okay, what's uninsured, what's what's insured. There has to be some sort of discipline, and that was somewhat thrown out the window. So, uh, I, uh, Lee and others have told me that you know everybody was prepared for turmoil. They just didn't know it would be a microbe, you know. But everybody knew there would be turmoil coming, and so you know you, you prepare for it. Um, and as you look ahead, I mean, I've I've actually trademarked a term called no normal. Uh, we live in tumultuous times. You know, we we live in times of chat GPT and 3D printing and, you know, God knows what else. And and so I don't think there's going to be a return to normal per se. So, you know, without doing anything inappropriate, like giving financial advice to people, but, but you did say, and others have said, you know, make sure you have cash. 
Um, are, are there any broad pieces of advice that you would say are appropriate for tumultuous times like this, when every day sort of brings a new wrinkle? Uh, you know, for example, to just to pick an easy one, you know, don't don't get into debt beyond what you can pay back in the short term. I mean, to me, that's always been an obvious one, but just things like that. I, I like no, I like no, say it again, no normal. No normal. No normal. Yeah, no. And I think that's a pretty good descriptor of some of the uh, unique economic factors right now. Uh, you know, there, there's tugging in, in, in both directions. There's really good news and there's really, you know, headwinds and troubling news. Um, and there's unprecedented, you know, unprecedented, uh, you know, spending at the federal level, unprecedented borrowing, uh, you know, between six and seven trillion in a very short period of time, uh, unprecedented rate hikes in terms of the um, uh, the steepness of that uh, and the and the speed in which the Fed acted. It's the steepest ever in the history of the, of the Fed. Um, and then you've got on the other side, uh, you know, inflation fell to less than five percent in March. Right. Uh, you know, that, that you know, that that's kind of good news. We, you, we've already talked a little bit about unemployment, uh, bond yields being higher, um, you know, uh, great American companies, you know, bond yields are are now attractive where we were in an, in an era that Larry mentioned prior about, you know, there's another there's uh, the Tina, right. uh, the Tina principle to stocks. OK, there is no alternative. Well, now there's an alternative and that's a good thing. Uh, funny things happen in stocks and in the stock volatility when there's no alternative and no alternative meaning, well, I can't get much yield, if any, on good corporate bonds. I, I'm down around one and a half or two on corporate bonds. Well, that's not the case anymore. So in that sense, there's a there's a contrarian return to normal uh, in that particular data point. Lots of swirling, conflicting currents. Um, that's why I've heard Larry say in, in, in client meetings, you know, keep your seatbelts fastened for 2023. Uh, the volatility is is not over. Uh, the Fed is likely to uh, you know raise rates, uh, if not one, possibly even two more times. Uh, that's a continuous debate. Uh, there are some in in the financial markets that feel that they're already done and and maybe trying to stabilize. We're not sure that's the case. Uh, inflation certainly we think is going to be stickier. Uh, than than some of the more really optimistic uh, outlooks out there. Tina, T-I-N-A. I'm going to put that on my website. So when people look for a consultant, there is no alternative. I like that. I, I love it. <laughs> yeah, Tina has been replaced by Tara. There are real alternatives. <laughs> All right, I've got two more questions. We're going to let you go. The first question is this. Uh, Lee, you've been in the business for 30 years. Larry, for 25 years about. Uh, what's the biggest change? If you had to cite one change, what's the biggest change from when you started in this business to now? Technology. Yep, technology and uh, access to information. In one sense, it's a really, really good thing. And on a macro basis, it drives down costs by definition when you've got more uh, uh, information. Now, information doesn't lead to knowledge. <laughs> uh, that's you know that's a mistake that that many successful high net worth people make they 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 assume that information does lead to to knowledge and wisdom and it doesn't necessarily uh, you know in the financial advisory world in the private wealth space you know if 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 you're going to get a uh, hip replaced 
you're going to, you want the best <laughs> you, and, and you want to think about that way about your advisors as well. Your, your tax advisors, your legal advisor, and your investment advisor. So technology has been a good thing, driving down costs to benefit the, the investing public, but it's also been uh, a little bit of overload of, of information. I would actually add now for the younger generation, I've got four children all uh, grown and out of the house and, and uh, we've been blessed. They're all got great educations and they're doing well. Uh, this whole phenomena with crypto and uh, Rob, was it Robin Hood, you know, kind of, you know, it really has, has made investing to the negative. Our opinion is it's a game. It's a game of winning and losing. It's a game of stimulus. It's a game of bells and whistles, like playing an old pinball machine. And that's the furthest thing that you want when you're making serious decisions about long-term capital. Uh, so again, th this technology thing is a blessing and a curse, but that has been the biggest change in, in, in from my perspective, I'm sure. Yeah, that's a great point. I would add the volume and frequency of noise. Mm. Uh, like I, I mentioned the word light speed, we are just inundated with data. And uh, so I, I think a lot of investors are short term in their thinking. Technology has uh, pluses and minuses. I'd say the minus, you know, from a behavioral standpoint, the more frequent you are looking at your portfolio, the more conservative the investor huh. becomes. And that does not it lowers it, returns. It, it lowers returns. Yeah, there's studies on this. You have heightened sort of uh, wary and, and, and concern. I have to go to cash. The market's down 10%. There are facts. And the facts are, if you are a stock investor, there are going to be corrections. There could be a 15 20% correction on a year. We learned that last year. That's par for the course. That's really, you, you sign up for that. You have to accept it. Uh, but with that, I've used the term compounding rates of return is boring over several you know, decades. It's, it should be akin to watching paint dry. It should not be a exhilaration uh, sort of episode where that's just agitation and excitement, and that's not sustainable. Yeah, my, my feeling has always been you buy stocks you're confident in and you keep them and you trust professionals to do what needs to be done. But I would rather play the tables in Vegas than day trade. I mean, that just seems to me to be insane. All right, here's my last question. If people wanna know more about your organization, about your company, uh, how do they get in touch? What should they be looking at? I know you guys do newsletters and everything else. So what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, sure. Capital Wealth Management, uh, LLC.com. Uh, as, as Alan introduced us, uh, we you know over three decades, uh, we're about a 20-person uh, firm here in, in Rhode Island, uh, a couple of miles down the street from, from Allen. Um, we really uh, we really have a passion. Uh, we work with uh, about 500 families, uh, about 100 businesses. We have an expertise on the, on the pension and, and uh, fiduciary ERISA side of the business. Um, I actually have two of my, uh, my, my children, my two of my sons are in the business here with us. Uh, so we're now a multi-generational business. My founding partners, uh, we've been together since 1989. Uh, you know, Larry, we are we are a little bit boring. Uh, <laughs> we are a little bit boring and we like it that way. Uh, you know, uh, building and preserving wealth over over the generations. That's uh, really our. And, and you know, Alan, you've been such a, a dear friend and, and uh, a, a coach and mentor to me. I just want to thank you uh, for uh 
for always uh, giving me a new vocabulary word every time we're together. Uh, and, and we're always swapping books back and forth. Uh, um, I, I just uh, started a new one, which I'm sure I'm going to hand to you. It's uh, it's called Scalia, uh, The Rise to Greatness. Uh, and it's from his birth. And the book ends uh, the day he gets sworn into the Supreme Court. So it's not about his time on the court. It's about who he was and how he became. Uh, and um, I'm just really enjoying it. So that's a, a treat for your listeners as well. <laughs> Yeah, well, I appreciate that. I appreciate you both being here today. Larry, thank you. Lee, thank you. Uh, and uh, it's uh, I have enjoyed your wisdom uh, privately, and I'm glad you were able to share it with my audience. So thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks so much, Alan. Thank you. You've been listening to The Uncomfortable Truth with Alan Weiss. For free access to Alan's newsletters, audio and video resources, and for information about his global events and coaching communities, please visit alanweiss.com. Thanks for listening. Keep the faith.